I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome back to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Yes, we've dusted down the artwork, fired up the rickety old RSS feed, and bravely shunned the audio recording facility to bring this a special one-off Probably return of your favourite football podcast of 2019. Why, you might ask? Well, Jose Mourinho was sacked. That's not why, really. It's because we wanted to hear from the Telegraph's football experts about everything that's happened since Sunday in this extraordinary episode in the sports history. With me to talk about the doomed European Super League and its fallout are Jason Burt. Hi, Jason. Hello there, Tom. Sounding chipper, uh, Luke Edwards. <laughs> uh, hi, Tom. I feel like I need to. I need to sound chipper now. You're calling people out and going to say hello. Much, much better. We got it. Tom. I'm tired. You've been working too. We're hard. all tired, Jason. Oh. We're, we're, we're exhausted from the work and from the mental exertion. Uh, but this this will give you a boost, Jason. I'm delighted to give someone their audio football club debut. It's Mike McGrath. How are you, Mike? Thanks for my first cap. Uh, are you, you going to dedicate it to anyone, Mike? The family, perhaps? Uh, the, the president of Juventus? <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think I'm dedicated to uh, Bruce Buck and the other and the other chairman of our uh, of our fine big six. <laughs> yeah, what a what a great bunch. Let's just start, shall we, by acknowledging quite how weird the last few days have felt in football. Jason, have you ever known anything like this in all your time covering the game? Uh, no, I think on the weirdometer, it's right up there. It's 10 out of 10, it's 20 out of 10 almost. I mean, I've been doing this job for 18, 19 years. I've been involved in obviously big takeover Abramovich coming into English football, you know, all the big transfers and deals that have happened, all the other big scandals that have happened, you know, Ashley Cole shooting somebody with an air rifle, <laughs> all sorts of stuff, things going on. Um, even Project Big Picture, I mean, obviously a great story that, that, we, that we did earlier this season, but this, this, this scoops everything really in terms of the scale of it. Um, genuinely, genuinely uh, thought at one stage it might happen. Uh, on Sunday, um, but that quickly sort of turned. But no, absolutely, in terms of the scale, in terms of the outcry, in terms of the coverage, in terms of the interventions at every single level, nothing nothing touches this. Yeah, and I suppose a sense as well that there might be more to come. The stuff that we're learning about it and what's happened in the background is almost going to be uh, as interesting in the coming days and weeks. Um, but Luke, what, what do you think was the tipping point over the weekend? When did this plan become unsustainable? 
Well, I agree with Jason. I think on Sunday we all sort of thought this was going to be forced through um, and we were incredibly sad and incredibly angry about it. And I think the tipping point probably came on Monday morning because I think we all woke up to rage really and disgust at what they were proposing. I've never seen in football fans pull together um, the way they did. And it was fans across the scale. It wasn't just fans of the 14 Premier League clubs who weren't going to be involved in the Super League. It was crucially the fans of those six clubs as well. And I think basically what happened was I think the, the government could see the level of anger and animosity there was to this plan. Um, it wasn't just fans. I don't just mean fans as in fans who, you know, go to games. I mean players and things like that, players who were fans long um, fans long before they became players and managers. There was this unity of contempt for what had happened. And I think what you saw pretty fast was that mobilising, that organising. It was incredibly loud. It was impossible for the government to ignore. So they were very, very strong in it. And I think also when you read the Premier League Rule, rule book or law book. Jason could probably clarify that for me. Um, it was, they had that rule that's prevented them joining another competition. And I suddenly thought to myself, and I think I wrote on Monday, they've actually got the grounds to kick them out of the Premier League if if it went that far. And I think as soon as I sort of, my brain started going down that route, I thought we could probably stop it, but I didn't think it would happen within 48 hours. That is the real shock of this. To unveil it on Sunday night and it'd be all over by Tuesday evening is embarrassing, quite frankly, for those involved. Really quite astonishing. I, I think I'm always going to remember Monday Night Football was the moment where it all crystallised. That, that was just an extraordinary evening of television, and to see Sky undermining its own product in the way that it Gary Neville <laughs> saying about the League Cup final, well, who cares? Just, just really... Really unusual. Um, what about the players, Mike? It, it, was there a sense they weren't going to go for it from that moment on Monday Night Football when James Milner said, I don't like it? Well, I, I, think, it was, I think I agree with Luke. It was that outrage on Monday really set the tone for, for, the, for, the, next, for the next 24 hours and until the collapse uh, and through that day as well. But I, I, I thought that that evening was a big, big turning point because of... Um, first of all, that there were some fans as well, which almost caused almost like a um, you know almost like a picket line for the players to go through. Um, and then when Jurgen Klopp spoke, and I just thought it was a really significant moment when James Milner and and Patrick Bamford as well spoke afterwards and 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 said that they were against it because I think until then you weren't quite sure how 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 it was going to go because you know players obviously are employed by the clubs, they're not employed by the Premier League and you don't quite know how they're going to feel about it. And I think there was a few things during the day, I think it was Bruno Fernandes, um, he, he posted on his Twitter effectively to effectively that you can't buy football dreams. Um, and I think that they, you know, perhaps it was the right person to speak to whether that was James Milner because, you know, he hasn't, you know, he's, um, he's, he he's uh, very articulate and he's not exactly he hasn't got 10 years of his career ahead of him that he's got to worry about either uh, you know even though he's uh, even, though, even though he's got a few years left in him but it's, it's not like he's he's got the next decade to worry about and he's and I think he spoke from the heart yeah what sort of state do we think football is in now where, where has it been left by this do we know uh jason if there's been any deal done yet with uefa on these new champions league rules and everything that will come with those 
Well, that's that's basically been waved through on Monday. I think there may be some opportunity to go back over it. That they may actually try and change a few things. But obviously, the expansion of the Champions League to a 36-team tournament from 2024 is basically now being waved through. And that was supposed to be the deal that kept all these clubs on board, the one they've reneged upon. And that's obviously that's what so angered the uh, UEFA chief executive, um, Alexander Seferin. Um, I think what's interesting and the real f- feeling I've got from this, which is quite going to be quite fascinating going forward, is how the other Premier League clubs feel about it. And they said to me, I was talking to a lot of them yesterday, and they said to me, you know, we feel emboldened for once because... These big six had one one shot. They had one one bullet, basically, to fire at them, that they would do this breakaway. And it's been going on for years and years and years and years and years. Side room meetings, threats, veiled threats. We'll do this, we'll do that if you don't, if you don't listen to us. Premier League meetings are often dominated just by the big six. A lot of the other clubs don't say anything whatsoever. On Tuesday, 14 clubs were there and 14 clubs spoke. And they all had the opportunity to speak. And some of them came away thinking... Actually, you know, this is the way it should be. We feel empowered. Now, what will be interesting is when they get those big six back in the room, how do they react towards them? They've had their chance. They've shot the bolts, as it were, and it hasn't worked. So what, what's, what can they do now? And that's the interesting thing. I think the, the funny, the really sort of fascinating side of it is the American owners, because they are still committed to some form of this. It's whether or not they can actually come back to the table in the future. But for now, I really think it is dead. I can't see it coming forward for quite some time now. They'll try and do different things by stealth to get more money, get more power, get more get more say. But I think the other clubs, and I'm really hope they, I hope they're good to their word, that the other clubs feel they, they feel they have a bit of power back. This is something I suppose each of you is gonna have a, a take on given the clubs you cover. I cannot I can see there's a sort of us versus them thing gonna happen with those fourteen against the big six, but is there a consensus of opinion amongst that remaining fourteen? Because presumably a club that knows it's gonna be fighting relegation is gonna feel differently to a club like Everton, who had things shaken out a little bit differently, perhaps in ten years with a new stadium if Angelotti stays, they might have been in Tottenham's position for, for the last week and, and been invited to this big six. It, it, will that fourteen that group of fourteen hold given that it represents quite a diverse group of clubs? Well, I, I think I think that's a good question. I mean, I think you look, as you say, you look at clubs like Everton and Wolverhampton Wanderers and clubs that have got ambition West Ham to be in that top six. I think what what will make it hold is actually the reaction. Because if you saw that, you've seen the reaction in the last 48 hours, do they want to get involved in any of that? They probably dodged a bullet. Clubs like Everton, who might be the seventh team that was invited to this, or Leicester, who might be the seventh or eighth team invited to this. I think the fact that they, they've actually seen what's happened will make them think we've, we've escaped there. We've actually, that's been a lucky break for us. And actually by, by staying within that 14, and, it, and you can look at that globally as well in terms of Europe. If you look at Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich, they were very smart. They thought, no, this isn't going to work. We're going to align ourselves with UEFA. We won't go down this route with these, these clubs. And now they look stronger than ever. So I think the 14 clubs for the time being will stay together. And I'm hoping they will actually talk more to each other and be as, almost like a little bargaining unit themselves if the six are going to carry on being silly. What are the vibes you're getting out of the clubs closest to, to your patches, Luke and Mike? Um, well, you don't get anything out of Newcastle and Mike Cashley, but I, I do. Um, <laughs> you don't <anyway>. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do believe that um, there was strong opposition to it. I did, I did get a call from someone at, at St James's Park on on Monday, uh, without blowing my own trumpet, thank, thanking me for the piece I'd written about kick them out. So that was that was interesting and, and and telling i am led to believe from 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 those close to mike ashley that he was against it but then you also know with someone like mike ashley that if he'd have been invited to it 
he'd have probably said, yes, yeah, I'm, oh, yeah, we're all in for that. So, you know, he's not exactly a man of the people who's had the great best interests of English football at heart for the last 14 years. So I think across the 14, as far as I can gather, as Jason has just said, there, there's, there was universal opposition to it. And they should be emboldened by it. As Jason's just said, they should be emboldened. They, they've, they've looked their biggest threat. They've stared them down. And they, the others I've lost, the big six have lost. They've suffered a humiliating defeat, quite frankly. And they've now got to come back. So all of these threats, all of this, we're going to go it alone. We're going to go and get the breakaway. doesn't wash anymore. It doesn't carry any water anymore. And let's not forget, what is it, six months since Project Big Picture? When they, you know, they ended up condemning their own plan in the subsequent Premier League meeting. The rest of the Premier League will see what these owners, I'm not going to say clubs, but what these owners are about, what they stand for, what they want to do. And now is a chance to actually just wrestle a little bit of that power back. And personally, I, I know we might discuss this later on, but I, I would like to see them punished. I, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how realistic that is within the framework of the Premier League rules. But I would like to see them take a points deduction, personally. that That's just my personal opinion. I'd like to see them start next season with a 10-point points deduction, and then Man City will probably win the, the Premier League again. But anyway, this, I, I would like to see them punished. I really would. I was speaking to a few lower, a few few lower league clubs, EFL, which yeah might might have been might have been forgotten a little bit in this, um, and they were definitely concerned about um, about what they would get out of it and the, and the fact that they would suffer from it. I think what they were that what they were saying was yeah they, there was a lovely big press release saying that there's going to be billions of pounds and there's going to be solidarity payments, but it was very very vague in terms of what exactly how that would be filtered down to them whereas at the moment they know what they get from the Premier League and and if the six were booted out of the Premier League then the broadcast money that they get for the 14 um, remaining would be so much less that it would eventually that they get less money so I think that was that might have been forgotten a little bit in the last couple of days and and I think just in in general just I thought it was you know there's a touch of Irony that the fact that um, you know, City tonight are playing Aston Villa, who have won a European Cup in in um, in their in their history, and there are other and there are things that people just cannot buy, um, which is which is store, stories like Leicester's in 2016, and I think that's that's part of the outcry is, um, is the fact that it wanted to be a closed shop which wouldn't have allowed these things to have happened there is there is one big there is one big problem Tom that, that obviously the, that's caused by all of this for, for the club not for us this is great for us is uh, the government review the, the fan-led review this is a really bad news for all the clubs this is not what they want basically the government again and get involved now the government as I think we touched on already did act very quickly. I think that surprised the big six. They didn't expect the government to get involved in the level they have. And I think in the Premier League meeting on Tuesday, Richard Master, the chief executive, made it very, very clear to everyone present the government would legislate against us. They would stop it. It was not happening. So all the clubs left that meeting yesterday thinking this is over. It will finish. And in that meeting, they're already getting messages that Chelsea and Manchester City were wavering. But I think the government review will go on and there is going to be issues around ownership, around representation, around all sorts of issues around football, which a lot of these other owners who aren't involved in the, the, the big six won't like either. So if we, I mean, there's been even talk of the German model, hasn't there, 51% represent ownership, um, uh, share ownership. I think that's going to be difficult to do, but there may be an element saying, well, we'll just give them 10%, and that could be a blocking 10%. You know, So I don't think these guys, like 
Roman Abramovich, but also down towards other owners down further down the league, want to dilute their ownership. They don't want other people to get involved. And they certainly don't want to give the fans a say in that way. So I think that they've almost unleashed this kind of beast that can actually help us and help the fans that might not help the clubs or the club owners, rather. It, it does seem, and I don't know whether this is right, but people are actually saying this might have been a sort of hidden benefit of Brexit, believe it or not, in that the government could act without the EU so swiftly that it could literally just say with it, right, we're going to we're going to do this. And we, that threat was real because suddenly it was like, it's nothing to do with the EU. The EU can't get involved in this. They can't go into any human right or whatever court it would go to uh, in Europe. And and I, I mean, I didn't see that coming, but I suspect the, the clubs didn't see it coming either. No, they didn't. You're absolutely right, Luke. Good work from you, Luke, there to uh, make a claim to get on Chopper's Brexit uh, podcast. <laughs> Well done for that. It's absolutely seamless. Uh, let's just return to uh, Manchester City, who you were talking about, Mike. Um, it was they and Chelsea who were first to formally withdraw on Wednesday night. Why was that? Cynically, you could say that the first, when it looked like it wasn't going to happen, the first would be would be the heroes, wouldn't they? The, you know, it'd be great PR. I, I think it's a little bit more complex than that for City because the, they were. They were late to the party on it, and I think they saw they saw how things were aligned. They saw um, five of the biggest clubs in England aligned, ready to go. Um, five of them, which, by the way, were part of that part of the gang of clubs who wanted them banned from Europe while they were awaiting their CAS verdict. Um, so they knew they had some enemies there, and on the other side, they got UEFA. You know, if they join that side, so anyway, for a, that, you know, they, they've they've not been great friends at the best times either. <laughs> you got on that side, so you got um, you know, Bayern Munich, and um, and and you've got Paris Saint Germain, who uh, you know opposed uh, in terms of uh, um, Qatar and Abu Dhabi. Um, so I think they were caught in a really difficult place, and then and then when it looked, you know, when all clubs obviously saw the reaction. And when there was starting start to uh, clubs were starting to wait, and I thought who was going to go first, and 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 as Jason mentioned, it, it looked like it was City and Chelsea, and and um, when it happened, the rest of it just just all fell down. That's one of the things that confuses me about this most of all. As you say, Mike, it was such a PR win for them to get out first. I mean, a really good PR win would have been not being involved in the first place, being able to say, yeah, we've seen this and we don't want into it. I mean, that seems very, very obvious now, but it seems like that could have been quite obvious last week. Um, which club did you feel like was most up for it, Luke? Oh, gosh, I didn't say that. Right, okay. I'm going to go with, I'm, I'm going to go. Yes, I'm going to go with Manchester United, who also delivered the worst statement uh, of of uh, extracting themselves from it as well. When there's like 24 pages dedicated to Ed Woodward's resignation, and then three paragraphs to uh, no apology, no hint of regret. Yeah, I'm going to go with. I totally agree with Jason. In Manchester United. And then closely followed, I suspect, by uh, Liverpool and Arsenal. The, the, the American owners, you talk to anyone at Premier League boardroom level, and those American owners, since they've arrived in English football, have constantly, in private, moaned about relegation, and they've never understood it, they've never got it, and they have been moving or wanting to move towards what I will loosely term franchise soccer from the moment they arrived. And look, Manchester United already had one popular owners, that uh, they're not going to win any popularity contest anyway. They probably thought, sod it, we just do what we want to do. I think the big loser in this 
is John W. Henry at Liverpool because I think the damage that they have done by being so enthusiastic and behind this, the fact they put Joel Glazer, a Manchester United uh, director, uh, quotes on the press release of their own official club website, they've had an absolute shocker. That is all I'm going to say on that one. They, I think they will really, really struggle to rebuild some relationships in on Merseyside. Will Henry and Fenway stick around on Merseyside, Jason? The same question about the Glazers at Man United. Now that this big payday is dead, are they going to look to sell their clubs? I mean, I think I think it will be a natural expectation that they might look at selling their football clubs. But I think the big problem they've got is will they get anywhere near the money they want for them? You know, especially in the current market, obviously post well with the pan- pandemic. But they've built a lot of they built a lot of money, a bit of value, sorry, into their clubs over the last few years. You look at Liverpool alone. The, what it's now worth compared to what they bought it for, but I think I think if they if they are so committed to this sort of model going forward, and this is what they want in terms of football, then yeah, they need to have a look at it and decide whether or not they want to stick around. I mean, obviously the same applies to Stan Kroenke at, uh, at Arsenal. I think he has probably taken Arsenal well as far as he can take it, if not you know overstayed his welcome by several years already. So I just think all three of those 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 ownerships will be in question. Um, but I think the big issue is. You know, who can afford to buy them? You know, who can afford to buy those clubs? Manchester United would cost an absolutely unbelievable amount of money. And who would be able to do that and who would want to do that either? Because if you buy a club like Manchester United for the money that the Glazers want for it, you're not going to get much of a return because the club is, you know, that that's top dollar, literally. Um, but I think they will look at it and think, is it worth us carrying, carrying forward? Definitely. I think Fenway aren't in it as, you know, football fans, they're sport franchise owners. And if, a fo- if owning a football club in the Premier League doesn't work for them on the longer term, then yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll cut and run. It is a baffling investment for anyone with billions and billions of pounds football, which just seems so risky and, and so fraught with unexpected dangers that you just don't come with other places you might put your money. Um, let's look forward a little bit now. And I think one of the main questions at the moment, Mike, is how long is it going to be until something like this gets uh, mooted again? Uh, I think it will depend on. I think it would depend on punishments if there are any. It will depend on um, what the government do as well. I think that the reaction of the last two days would probably be quite a good warning sign um, as to where the where the public lie on it. And I think the American owners, in particular, have just totally misread the room and possibly through arrogance thought that it would that it might even be you know it it might even be a good idea people might think this is good um so i think there's enough there to say that it's not going to come back immediately but i just think it's it's just football's warning that you know it it can't happen it cannot happen again and we have to have some some forms of sanctions which make sure that that this um, kind of power grab is just unavailable to, to to the very top. I'm I'm not really providing many solutions there. I'm only just saying. Yeah, I think I think, a- I think what they'll need to do is look at the rules. I think they have to look at the rule book, and I think that's what they're going to look at. I think there'll be a drive to have certain rules in place to just to just prevent this full, full stop. And if and if if clubs try and do this again, I think they will be punished in, in ways that maybe, for example, in Amer- in American sport, you can be forced to sell your club under under your franchise, your uh, club under certain if you breach certain rules, you you you, you can be forced to sell. Um, and, I, and I think they will try and look at that, for example, and say, look, if you do certain things which are not in the interests of the Premier League as a whole. And obviously, breaking away from it is clearly not in the interest of the Premier League. Then, you, then you will have to sell. You'll be forced to sell. So you have to sign up to those rules to be part of the Premier League. I think that's that's what they'll try and do. 
and obviously then there'll also be the threat of, like, that ongoing threat of government government intervention. So I think I think they've headed this off very skillfully and very forcefully. I think the danger will be what what kind of deals will these clubs try and cut with UEFA, who've had an almighty scare at the very least UEFA, because obviously although they came out very strongly, they were slightly dependent on everyone else backing them. And doing things, so I think that there is danger that these clubs might still go back to UEFA. And despite Seferin calling them snakes and so on and so forth, you know for a fact that they'll be back in a room together fairly soon. Forgive me for a little bit of cynicism about this, but there's been a lot of government talk over the past few days, big talk about what they could do, interventions um, about reformations to football. But it seems to me that the big PR win for the government is in the bag already, and it didn't take much work. It was all over and done with in two days. Is there the political will to actually do something about football long-term, or is that just going to be a too expensive and uh, too, too difficult a path to tread? I think, I think it's very simple, Tom. So if it's very simple, they'll do it basically. And it's not going to be very expensive. It's, as you say, it's a great PR win. Boris Johnson doesn't give a stuff about football, really, but actually knows it's a very popular sport. And we saw that with Project Restart, you know, the, the, the desire to get football back on our TV screens, they thought would be sort of, you know, help help the masses out there to get through lockdown. And, and to a degree, it has done. So I think there's two things going on. I think they know it's an easy PR win to continue to sort of act in this way. There are there are simple things they can do legislatively to try and change the change this and stop it ever happening again and also one of the things that somebody said to me the other day was the last thing they want is all the other football clubs collapsing so they're gonna to have to prop them up and we've seen that already because the government don't want to bail out football they haven't they've done done it through the pandemic so they're not going to do it now so they don't want that to happen either they think it's a sport a wash with money should look after itself and also again without being funny you look at sort of exports uk plc exports the premier league is one of the most successful exports we have as a, as a country why would they want that to go away? If you go anywhere in the world to talk about the Premier League, it's one of the positive aspects of, of coming from the UK. We talk about soft power and British influence around the world. We've taken a bit of a hammering for various things in the last two or three years. So actually having the vibrant Premier League and protecting that, as Jason said, that is huge for a government. That, that's actually part of foreign policy. Um, or should be or will be part of their foreign policy so they will act and I think they've only got themselves to blame these owners now and I think they you know that's what they will be in fear of next is what what is coming from the government that that is what they'll be worried about now they've lost this battle what battle are they going to lose further down the line Mm. let's just have a word for the fans Luke Uh, it seems to me that everything now that's left of this season is in danger of feeling a little bit meaningless Do do you share that feeling no, I don't actually. Um, and I have to say, I wrote something this morning that made me very emotional as I was writing it. And I was writing about um, the cheer that went up at Stamford Bridge last night when when news of Chelsea pulling out of the of the of the Super League came out. And it was a reminder. It was that sound, that cheer, that collective roar of emotion, unleashing of emotion that I haven't heard in a football stadium since March last year. So. Um, I, I think the fans can be very, very pleased um, because, as I said at the very start of this podcast, it's been universal. It wasn't just the clubs who were affected by it. It was clubs from every rung of the football ladder in all four corners of the country have come together and they've got something done. They have reminded people because this political intervention only comes because the fans, It's there's so much anger amongst the population as a whole. That's why politicians act. And they have brought this Super League to its knees um, with the help of government. As I say, the government only acted because they were so angry. And it was a reminder that football, after years and years and years, probably my entire adult life, are thinking that fans no longer matter in football. 
we have seen that when they mobilize, when they unite, and when they are angry and pursuing a common cause, they are still the most powerful force in football. So I feel very heartwarming. I found that very heartwarming, actually, when I reflected on it last night. Um, and I hope that we we see, you know, that fans can be a little bit more confident now that football does still belong to them. So, no, I don't think this season is, is I haven't really answered your question there, but I don't think the rest of this season is is meaningless. I think it, it if anything, it's got more meaning for me now. And I just can't wait until hopefully at the start of next season, we start having full stadiums again, because I've had enough of the empty football version. Um, as everybody who knows me knows, I can't stand it. I hate going to empty stadiums. And the sooner they come back, the better. And just that little, that little roar, that little video of Chelsea fans celebrating. Um, yeah, I found it, I found it joyous to be honest with you. With you all the way, Luke, let's wrap up with a question for all of you. I'll come to you each in turn, which is, have we learned anything from this? And is anything going to change? Because I feel like the Premier League and Sky and the clubs that are involved in this and even some of the clubs that weren't involved in this just want things to go back to how they were as soon as possible because the product is eroded for as long as this weird mood remains around football. Is that going to happen, Mike? Or is this going to mean lasting change for football? Um, I think that we, I think it's opened our eyes to some of the problems that we have. But I think effectively the our domestic uh, you know the what we have is is a good product it's not um you know it, it is it is like as jason says it's a great it's a great british export you know it's um i think it's i think what we learned from it i think we've learned a lot about power and and the power of fans and and what and also the true colors of these clubs and that's i, I don't think we can really will ever forget that and i don't think I think it's going to be very, very different for if uh, those American owners ever step foot in those cities again. It's going to be very, very different for them, and that's going to be the change. And that uh, from going on, going on from now, I do think though that it's that it's going to be more of the same for in terms of the product that we have. But I do think that it's a really good product, and, and we're better, we're much better for it. What about you, Jason? Learn anything? Yeah, I think I think there's nothing to be afraid of. I think that's what I've learned. I mean, I think that they, um, we always feared that this would happen at some stage, that this would be a real you know, threat to the future of the game in this country, that these clubs had felt they had the power to dictate terms at every level in, in, in this country, in the Premier League, and, and just wider, wider than that. And, um, and it's been proven with every, every force that's been harnessed against them that they don't, actually. If it's something to be afraid of, then why don't we try and mould football into the sport that we want it to be? You know, and the government review is quite interesting because, you know, in some ways I'm against it because I think it's a dangerous thing for government to be involved. But if it's done in the right manner, I think there could be good that comes of it. And I really feel strongly about the ownership issue that you know, everyone, a lot of people, you know, the German model divides people. Some people think it's great. Some people think it's, it's just, you know, the hipsterish and it's rubbish and so on and so forth. And it's not quite what it seems because obviously you've got big companies behind these German clubs. But there are reasons why they don't get involved in these sorts of things. You know, there is fan representation. And we should have fan representation on the board of every football club in this country. That's what I would like to see come out of this. Your closing remarks, please, Luke Edwards. No, I, I think we, we've had our eyes opened. And I think the owners of those football clubs who are involved 
I, I I think they may never recover from from this personally. Maybe with the exception of Manchester City and Chelsea, maybe they bailed quickly enough to get out of it. But certainly the American owners, and we've we've been very silent on Tottenham here. The lottery ticket winners, the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate <laughs> Factory golden <laughs> ticket winners, who somehow somehow managed to get themselves a ticket to the invite invite to the the elite of European football. So They've been um, in the European Cup more recently than anyone except to Liverpool. Well, great, yeah, but they're, final, they're, they're not they're not one of Europe's elite. Oh, they're not one in the Premier League league. But anyway, sorry. Um, being the, no, I, I think my eyes are opened, are, are wide open now. I don't think it'll happen again. I think we've killed it for a generation at least. But I do think those owners, particularly at Liverpool, Manchester United and Arsenal, I think they may find that, it, that their time, this is the beginning of the end for, for all three of them. Before we go, let's have a bit of recommended reading from each of you, please. We've all been working very hard over the past few days. Uh, what is something you've written, Luke, uh, which you would instruct everyone to read? And we'll stick a link in the show notes. Just just put Luke Edwards into Google, Telegraph, <laughs> and it's all magic. The autocomplete on that is really bad, though. Um, uh, no, we can read the piece I've written about the power of fans. I think that was that was that that made me emotional writing it. Um, and I'm not not just saying that. I did actually well up a little bit writing it this this morning. So um, yeah, please read that because I think it's um, it's a reminder of who football belongs to in this country. What have you got, Mike? Well, last um, well, it's not 24 hours, like more like 12 hours. I've been working on. Um, Obviously, we haven't mentioned that Edward Wood is uh, is is going at Man United um, after nine years. So um, after after working on that story, um, I did uh, every single senior uh, player that he'd signed during his time then, and and ranked them from best to worst. So so you can you can agree with it or not. Um, there's some real real there's some there's some good buys in there and some stinkers as well, which we all know. But um, but they're they're all there. I've never not clicked on a ranking of anything, and I look forward <laughs> to reading that later. How about you, Jason? Well, there was a piece I did yesterday, uh, which I was quite pleased with, which was talking to a number of people who were in the Premier League meeting. Um, sometimes it's quite difficult to get hold of people. Obviously, yesterday, with the fact that you know it was quite a volatile uh, day and people did want to talk, um, they were a bit more open. And they were all sworn to secrecy on the record, but a bit more open off the record. And it was quite interesting talking to them about the mood within that and the kind of sense of euphoria when... For example, they were in the meeting when they found out the captains were going to have this meeting today that's now been can- that on Wednesday that's now been cancelled. But I think there was a sense of euphoria from some of the clubs around that. And then they're sort of they're seeping out of the fact that Liverpool and, che- and that uh, Chelsea and Manchester City were not so sure about going forward. I think all of those sorts of details I was getting from, from people who were in the meeting was quite interesting. And uh, uh, that's a piece I would recommend. Good stuff. Any of you going to ask me what of my <laughs> pieces that people should read? Um... Yes, Tom. What what piece uh, would you what what piece of yours would you recommend, Tom? Oh, Luke, thank you so much for asking. Uh, we we spoke about it earlier. It was the terrible statements that came out from all the clubs. I've been through those today and I've annotated them line by line. Uh, I tell you what, great, great, great day for the stakeholders. A lot of shout outs <laughs> to the stakeholders in all of those statements. So very well done to them. Luke, Jason, Mike, thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of the Audio Football Club podcast. We may be back at some point in future. Who can tell? You can still send us an email. Let us know what you would like from this podcast in future. It's afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. Thanks for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.